What up, what up? This is Scoobert Dubert, and today we're going to talk about mixing on Music 101. All right, so what's up with mixing? What does this even mean? What is this word? Basically, the reason why I talked about all of those different um, recording engineering slash production topics was to lead us to this. Mixing is the thing that pulls it all together. So think of recording and then production as you're creating this arrangement. You're creating the color palettes, you're creating the parts, you're creating the notes, the instrument decisions, and you're, you're kind of putting it all into the pot. Mixing is the, the point where you're actually mixing that pot and turning it into soup. Without the mixing, everything is just kind of like their own little distinct parts. So mixing takes us back to what we've been talking about this whole time, the three major um, categories of audio and music in particular. You have um, your frequencies, your pitches, your frequencies. You have your um, dynamics, so loudness, quietness. And then you have your time-based effects and the fact that we have two ears. So stereo slash spatial audio. All of these are just basically tools that we can use to create something called space. So what is space? With mixing, I like to focus on two things at once, the entire mix, the lead vocal and then the low end. So let's start with the lead vocal. So like specifically in pop music, and this can apply to like really anything, even if it's instrumental music, the main thing that you need to focus on, the thing that's going to be stuck in your head, the catchy part, be it a violin or a tenor sax or a vocalist, usually a vocalist. Sometimes an electric guitar will come in and take a solo or whatever. That thing. I like to leave that thing on the entire time because that's what I'm trying to frame with everything else. And mixing, one of my mentors described to me is like, it's like painting or photography where you have a foreground and you have a background. And you want to use things like depth and blurriness to create more focus on the thing that you want the listener to focus on. So that's why I leave the lead vocal unmuted the majority of the time, regardless of what I'm working on, because I have to hear how everything's playing against that lead vocal. Because if I'm burying that lead vocal, I'm losing the point in most genres. Sometimes that's cool. Anyway, everything is relative to each other. So when we have uh, a mix, there, just like I talked about before, it's like a balloon. You can only put so much air into that balloon before it explodes. Mixing is the same thing. There's only so much room. And so everything in terms of loudness and in terms of presence, that, that focus, is in relativity to each other. And so when I'm having that lead vocal open, it's so that I can like hear how it's reacting to every other part that I put in. And mixing is fascinating because every time you put something else in, it affects everything else. Let me say that again. Every time you add another instrument into your mix... Every other instrument sounds different. And that's because of a few different things. It's because of those really those, those three based effects. So one, frequencies. Like I said, there is no such thing as a perfect frequency unless it's like a synthesizer like that you're really trying to make that happen. But very rarely, even if you're using a synthesizer, you're trying to pull out these, you know, these complex harmonics because it sounds good to our ears. So nothing is just one frequency. It's a series of frequencies. And so when you add something you're adding not just the one note, you're adding all of the frequencies, the timbre that comes from that one note. And those frequencies step on each other. And they can amplify each other or reduce each other. And like you can think of this like waves. So if you have a wave that is going up, down, up, down, up, down, and you flip it perfectly, down, up, down, up, down, up, you don't hear anything. 
That's how those noise-canceling headphones work. It actually has a microphone listening to what's going on in the outside world. It's phase-flipping it into your ears so that it's actually playing the audio back of what you're hearing around you opposite. It's called phase cancellation. And so that's what happens when we add new frequencies is that you can have things that are amplifying the wave, like piggybacking on it and making it bigger like the moon tugging the sea. Or you can have the reverse, phase cancellation, just like those uh, noise-canceling headphones. And so every time you're adding something in, you're listening to the way that it, it ripples, the ripple effect from a frequencies perspective. Also, from a dynamics perspective, everything is running into a series of compressors. We talked about compressors earlier, but basically what those are is it's taking the audio, and every time it gets a little too loud, it tugs it back a little bit, makes it a little quieter. And it's, it's not actually that simple. Most of the compressors that we use, at least, um, are modeled off of like physical analog gear, and we're doing a digital version, um, most engineers at this point. But like what that's doing is it's not just compressing the audio it's changing the way that it sounds once it hits that certain level and it actually engages the compressor compressing down the volume and so every time it's compressing down the volume it's changing the frequencies a little bit it's adding something called saturation which um sometimes which is the the harmonic effect that i talked about super early on in the podcast where like we're saying no note is on its own it has all these harmonies harmonics that um, extend from it. And when you're compressing things, um, you tend to saturate things. And saturation is bringing out those other harmonics. And so there's a lot going on between those two things. And when we only had mono mixing, so like if you listen to like a mono version of Sgt. Pepper's, which is how it was originally mixed and recorded, there's, there is no room to spread things out between your two ears called stereo. And that brings me to the third thing time. So we can create the effect of putting things around your head, and even more so now that we have binaural and spatial audio and stuff like that. And that creates space. That's my primary reason to pull from panning is excitement and space. It's less about like sound effects. It's more about I have this lead vocal. If I put that right in front of your face, if I put more things right in front of your face, it's going to cloud the lead vocal more so than if I put them into your two ears further away. And so there's like this, you can picture like a 360 field around your head and where you place things is going to step on each other in the same way that if like the guitarist um, and the drummer were standing on each other's shoulders, it's going to be like a little bit more cloudy than having the guitarist to your left and the drummer to your right. Same basic concept. And that's like what we maneuver with with mixing. Now, the elephant in the room, the main other thing that I like to get done first and the biggest pain in the ass if it has to change later, which it so frequently does when you're working with other mixing clients. And I'm also telling you this as a mixing engineer, um, be mindful <laughs> when you're working with a mixing engineer. Changing the lead vocal drastically changes everything. Might as well be a new mix. The other thing that changes drastically is the low end. So I'm talking bass guitars, kick drums, anything that's living down in the basement of frequencies, the stuff that hits the subwoofer that rumbles your house. Subs take up the most room in a mix. So what do I mean by that? It means like if you turn on and off the sub, everything else changes. The saturation of the entire mix, the compression in the entire mix, the frequency spectrum. The lower you go, the more harmonic frequencies there are. 
when you play a low bass note, there are going to be more series of frequencies going up and up and up and up than if you played like a really high up guitar note. And part of this is is not actually because of nature. Part of it's just because of how our ears hear. So at a certain point, those harmonic frequencies, they kind of peter out because we're not really built to hear these things. When you hear a really low rumble, like a monster coming into a cave, that means danger. We're tuned into that. And so you, we have this like certain, certain um, sensibility with just with our ears and our nature. Low notes take on a lot of space when you're piling things on top of them. So that's what I like to do first. Get the lows sounding great. Take away lows from anything that doesn't need it. Just like I was saying, the first one, control your lows, control your highs. That's step one of mixing. I honestly think that's step one of recording. Pick what's going down there and what's not. Because the more things you have going down there, the more things that are going to create trouble for you. Have a really clean low end. See if you can like pick one or two instruments that's dealing with that down there. If you want to stack more, you start getting into like a really dangerous and difficult space. Not saying that it can't be done. I've done it. Um, but to mixed effects, sometimes when you're talking low end, to me, simpler the better, as pure as possible, way down there. And then you build the rest of the mix from that because now you have a low end established and then you have your focal point established. And then everything else, as much as I like that hurts me sometimes as a primarily as a guitarist, that's where I started. The guitars are window dressing. They always have been. They're not everything else is to support what the low end is doing and what the vocal is doing. To me, I like to get the drums going and the vocal because to me it goes basically in order vocal, low end, drums, everything else in terms of priority. Obviously, everybody can have their own opinions on this. This is my own thing though. And it's, it's, not, it's not because of personal feelings. It's just because of doing this a lot. It works. It just, that's... That's the formula. It works when you have that order of priority because then what you're doing is you're creating a focal point, you're creating size and depth with that, hitting that subwoofer, and then you're creating groove, and then you're creating interest in that order. If you create interest first, then you like kind of lose the, the point. Now it's just like vibe, but there's no real grounding to it. There's no low end like taking me and rooting me. And if you're focusing on vibe more than the vocal... It creates a genre choice, not and that like that that's that's basically what I'm trying to say is like if you're trying to make shoegaze, make shoegaze. That's good. If you're trying to make punk, make punk. That's good. If you're trying to make pop music, this is the formula: lead vocal, low end, groove, everything else. All right. So then, what do we actually do? So we're actually like we basically we take those things, build that groove, and then we try and get everything working together. So again, if you want to make something sound louder. You don't really have that much room to actually make things louder in a mix. Everything is relative to each other. So one of the best ways to make something sound louder is to make other things sound quieter. And all of a sudden that thing sounds louder. You're playing with like psychoacoustic effects in mixing. And one of the ways that you create space, well, there are three ways to create space. Same thing that I keep talking about over and over and over again. You cut something, the frequency spectrum to create space. You um, compress something differently. So that one thing is hitting the compressor or not hitting the compressor. So let me give an example of that. I like to compress my kick drum and my, well, actually, yeah, my kick drum with my entire drum kit and the entire drum kit with my bass guitar. And then sometimes, depending on the arrangement, I'll 
compress all of the instruments and then I'll have the vocal not compressed. So then the vocal is like, you know, just sitting on top. It's, it's, it can sound a little weird. So sometimes I'll do another compressor compressing everything again. But basically what that's doing is it's saying the compressor, that um, dynamic effect that's pulling down the loudness is only affecting the non-focal points of the song. There, it's affecting the way that the groove is compressing and contracting and growing and saturating. But then the vocal is just sitting on top of it. So that's how you use like that second one. Then the third, talking about panning. And also, let's talk about reverb and delay. There is more than just three dimensions um, around your head in terms of panning. So yeah, you can put something in front of you, behind you, above you, to the left or right of you. The magic of binaural stuff. That's cool. Um, you do lose, lose something when you put it behind you. Um, just want to note that. Um, because not every sound source is going to sound the same. And so when you're doing like these little tricky things, sometimes you're um, sacrificing something else. But I digress. So don't don't overuse it. Kind of what I'm trying to say. Um, I've tried. It just doesn't really work. At least not yet. Anyway. Um, so yeah, you have panning, you can put things around your head, but then you also have the depth that's created by these artificial rooms. And again, we talked about reverb, artificial reverb, reverberation, artificial rooms is all built about the delays, the sum of delays in a room. It's like right now I'm in a you know, fairly small room, but it has pretty high ceilings. You might be hearing a little bit of um, slapback from that. If you put yourself in a room and you don't put anything else in a room, that one thing that you put into the room is going to sound farther away by nature because it's in a bigger space. And if you like, say, for example, if, if you were miking a drum kit or in one of my favorite cases, a, a, a ride cymbal, it's the big, big old um, cymbal that's like a really washy and um, like what I say by... Um, Ray Charles, like that has like a cool ride pattern. Anyway, one of the coolest things that you can do because it's a big, washy, loud, cutting cymbal is to mic it really far away and then pull that in. So then it sounds like the ride cymbal is like a mile away and dropping that into a mix creates this real sense of depth and space and it makes that thing less focused, which can be really cool. It's like this, um, Jack Garrett does this a lot. It's this like off otherworldly thing that isn't distracting from your vocal because it can be really cutting and harsh um, by putting it further away. That almost goes back to like the beginning of recording engineering when you only had one microphone and everybody was just stacked in terms of distance. The lead vocalist was closest to the microphone, drummer was way off in the distance and that was, that was it. But it creates a, a, a frequency effect too when things are farther or closer away from a microphone something called the proximity effect that basically like the farther and farther away that you get the the microphone actually picks up different things and even though i'm speaking louder it sounds a little bit differently when than when i when i come up closer and you hear more of like the chest part of my um my voice the low end um anyway but what, basically what i'm trying to say is you can uh affect the relative size of things and the relative focus of things by the room that you place them in, either virtually or physically. And that's, that's, about, that's about it. There's not really anything else going on. There's effects. We'll talk about that in a later pod. Um, there's, plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of nuance that we can get into, but that's the gist. Mixing is pulling everything together, putting it all in the pot, and everything is in relation to each other. You can't just keep throwing spices in 
not everything can be louder. Sort of. <laughs> there are some ways around that, but the, the gist is that everything is in relation to each other. So when you're mixing, think more about cutting than hyping and use saturation liberally. I want to talk about that in the next pod. I'm going to name it like the hilariously clip bait, uh, clickbaity title, like five things I wish I knew about mixing or something like that. Um, and I'm going to talk about why people that are like uncomfortable with mixing kind of turn it into this dark art and end up cutting themselves at the legs. There are ways to, um, to build a effective session for a mixing engineer, even if you're not doing your own mixing, by understanding where their heads are at and giving them a proper blueprint rather than just giving them a bunch of naked audio and saying, make it sound good. Mixing needs to be the final stage of the process where everything gets brighter and cleaner and, and have more depth and more focus and more size. It's not necessarily the place you want to be making bold, creative decisions. Make that before the mix. Let the mixing engineer do what they do in terms of make, finalizing that soup rather than saying, hey, mixing engineer, please pick all of the reverbs. Are you kidding me? You want me to pick all the reverbs? That's the producer's job, in my opinion. The, the space that you put something in, that's insanely vital to genre decisions. Like, what, why would you have the mixing engineer choose what genre your song is going to be? Sure, you can give reference tracks and stuff like that, but I'm going to talk about that in the next pod. Reference tracks are inherently flawed because you're not making a cover song. It's not the same song. Yeah, you can do things like give vibe. I get that. That's important. But fundamentally, you're making a unique, distinct piece of music. Do that and be confident enough in your own creative decision making to make those decisions before the mixing engineer. Let the mixing engineer do mixing rather than producing you need to produce or your producer needs to produce and then you mix separate them and you can mix along the way i'll talk about that too but like don't don't expect the mixing engineer to have to make these super creative decisions because it's going to get in the way of the fundamental task of making the soup actually taste good making this stuff work together that's mixing it's not it's not saying i want to write a new chord progression it's like, dude, you should have done that before you even went to the mix. Like, don't, don't mess with their time because it's going to get in the way of the, the actual goal here. So yeah, that's, that's about it. We'll do this one, one next, uh, next week about like the five things. And then, um, that's going to be like this little, uh, mixing recording engineering section. Um, and then we'll, you know, talk about something else. I've got infinite things to talk about and also, um, fun little, Fun little thing I get to announce now. I'm getting my first major label cut for a mixing job and production and engineering and playing on it, a bunch of different instruments um, for a band called Chai, C-H-A-I. They're from Japan, and it's going to be released on Sony Japan, as well as, I believe, Sub Pop in the United States. So pretty stoked, and I, hopefully that makes all of this stuff have a little bit more weight now that I've, you know... <laughs> had somebody else's name behind mine because that's that's like kind of how it works right i guess like suddenly when when you have big brands vouching for you suddenly you're real rather than just the 
the work itself. It's funny how that is, but it's the same thing with, you know, surfing or whatever. Once you're sponsored by Hurley, then you're legit, I guess. So, but I'm excited about it, not to throw shade. I really love Chai. I love their music and I'm so excited for that to come out. So in January, my first uh, production and mixing uh, song with them is going to come out as a theme song for a Japanese TV show. And then in February, um, uh, one of my remixes is going to come out, uh, I think February 2nd. And then beyond that, maybe some more surprises, but nothing to say yet. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is Scubert Dubert, and uh, you can find all the links at scubertdubert.pizza. That's scubertdubert.pizza. Thanks, guys. Bye.